This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, March 16th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, COVID numbers remain low, Norwood annexes land for residential development, the down low celebrates snow days, and a mountain weather forecast. But first, KOTO's programming is informative, enlightening, and entertaining. We remain steadfastly non-commercial and independent, like the community we serve. Show your support for your local radio station by going to koto.org to donate. And thank you. Masks are still required on buses and the gondola. Other than that, locally you may never know the world is coming out of a pandemic. And according to San Miguel County Public Health Director Grace Franklin, low COVID numbers back up that feeling. We've been maintaining at a pretty low case rate. Um, We've averaged about um, eight to 10 um, cases per week for the last few weeks. Um, And it really hasn't shifted much even as um, testing has fluctuated. She adds the low numbers are playing out across the state as well. Case rate numbers are really at, at summer 2020 levels, which is quite remarkable thinking about how much more we um, have been interacting as a society uh, compared to what we were um, doing in 2020. Of course, while on an individual level, many have returned to normal, public health is regrouping on the past two years and preparing for what could come in the future. Even though things have started to slow down on the day-to-day aspects, it's um, our team as well as the state are really looking towards how do we take what we've learned over the last two years, what's worked, what hasn't worked, and really improve to have clearer um, expectations and communications to the public as we move into um, the fall and the winter or any new emergency. The days are getting longer and warmer. Public health is remaining optimistic while keeping an eye on future variants. Norwood's town limits are expanding. 1545 Spruce Street. It's approximately 37.6 acres and currently contains a single family home and an accessory dwelling unit or an ADU. That's Henry Hemphill, Norwood's contract planner. Last week, Norwood's board of trustees met to discuss annexing the property into the town and zone the land for residential development. The town of Mountain Village recently purchased the property with the intention to build residential homes on the land. According to Hemphill, roughly 20% of the property will be reserved for roads and access and a minimum of 8% for open space. So the maximum density that you could probably see in this area is is most likely, uh, you know, based on some of the Rough calculations is probably 154 dwelling units. But Mountain Village town manager Paul Weiser notes, Mountain Village doesn't intend to max out on the density on the property. The owner who owned this property prior to us uh, publicly said that he wanted to develop 250 units on this property. We have no intention of doing anything close to that. Rather, he says the town wants to work with the community of Norwood to determine what fits best. Uh, But we want to engage in community meetings that go forth and ask the community what it is that they want to see on this property and how they want to see it developed. And so we get that feedback. Uh, We can't come to you with an actual development application for subdivision. He adds Mountain Village doesn't have any financial incentive to build as much as possible. The town of Mountain Village is in a unique position that we're not 
like a traditional developer. It's hard to believe, but we actually are just trying to create an affordable community that people want to live and create a community. Um, most developers come in with a pro forma that says we have to create as much density as we possibly can in order to make this pencil. That's not our motivation here because we don't have a profit motive at the end of the day. And so to suggest that we are going to look to put as much density as we possibly can as we use by right is just fundamentally not the perspective that we're taking with respect to this project. And so the numbers that Henry provided, uh, yeah, mathematically are possible, but in no way is that what our goal is or our aim at the end of the day. Wiser can't say the price point for the homes or whether they will be deed restricted or not. Those decisions need to come from Mountain Village Town Council, and they're still some ways away. But he notes the aim is for them to be affordable. Norwood Mayor Kiefer Perino adds the town of Norwood can also put on parameters on how the property is developed. While the project is fundamentally different, he points to recent housing requirements Norwood put in place for the Pinion Park neighborhood, built in collaboration with the Telluride Foundation. We would really want these properties to be used as a local, uh, and you know the requirements for the deed restriction starts with working and living in Norwood. Second, the second tier is going to be uh, living in Norwood, working in Telluride. Um, we just want to ensure that um, those housing opportunities are available for the workforce in the area. Neither Norwood nor Mountain Village have announced eligibility requirements for the Spruce Street development. During public comment, several members of the community had concerns, including Jenny Russell. She believes there needs to be more public input before the community zones the property for residential development. I don't think anybody understands what this is going to look like, and I think that 150... <laughs> for 135 units in this town is a huge impact. And, and we all ought to be able to talk about that and consider it and not just one evening at town hall with nobody in the public. Norwood trustee Jamie Schultz supports the annexation and zoning, but understands the concerns. I mean, you know, it is annexing it is a lot easier choice for me because it gives the town control. And I do understand Jenny's concern. I get it that, and I, and as much as I believe that Mountain Village doesn't have it, the intention at this point, right, to like max out this land, she does have a point that it can be, it can be maxed out. And so like, this is a hard, it's hard to like wrap my head around that. It's, it's just hard. It's just a hard, it's just hard. Despite some hesitation, the Norwood Board of Trustees unanimously approved annexing the property into the town of Norwood and zoning it for residential development. If you ask Laura Shawnette, a story is an opportunity to build connection. The medium of storytelling paired with active listening is really what helps us as people be more empathetic humans. I think that it connects us around shared human experiences. Um, it might give insight into something that, you know, you never experienced in a million years. That's how I feel whenever there's like an extreme like ski story or someone like in the middle of the ocean on a sailboat. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know that that'll ever be me, but like, Thank you for taking me there with you. Seanette is one of the founders and organizers of Telluride Theater's The Downlow, Telluride's local storytelling event. What this is and what it's become is kind of a platform for Telluride locals and visitors and festival guests alike to share a stage 
um, one at a time, and they will tell a 10-minute story from the heart. The Downlow is back this week after a COVID-induced hiatus, but the stories go back to 2014. Shauna and her wife, Geneva, came to the idea on a series of road trips, listening to a number of storytelling podcasts. We were really into um, Snap Judgment and This American Life and The Moth, and we were like, man, this is so it's something we look forward to we feel like we almost like know and connect with these total strangers that you know we're listening to and it was so fun because on these long drives it would inspire us to share stories with each other and as we were kind of observing that process we were like why doesn't this exist in telluride she says telluride is built for a night of stories you can't really walk down the street without getting a story from someone like whether it's you know, something they skied that weekend or something they climbed um, or just some sort of adventure, something they cooked. Like this community is so knit in a way that um, that telling stories is really part of our fabric. This month, the Downlow is back with the theme, Snow Days. Our resident librarian geniuses uh, came up with a suggestion and I love a theme suggestion. So just to plug, if anyone ever has ideas for themes, please feel free to let me know. I love a good theme. In partnership with the Wilkinson Public Library, the Downlow will celebrate all things snow. The thing I love about this program and always would encourage our storytellers to do is really think outside the box and to to interpret that in any way that really speaks to them, whether it's like a school snow day, whether it's, you know, an adventure in the backcountry, whether it's like travel plans being the deferred because of some sort of weather and then something else happening or or there's also you know there's a few different interpretations that uh, I can think of one story on Sunday that definitely goes outside of the uh, interpretation of frozen precipitation coming from the sky is what I'll say <laughs> the stories can be fun or heartwarming cringeworthy or cry inducing but for Shawnette, the beauty of the down low is the communion it builds between storyteller and the audience. This audience shows up like to listen and to hear stories from each other and they're just so present and attentive and it's a really beautiful thing to watch. Um, different people connect with different stories in such incredible ways. Like my, I always say my favorite part about the download sometimes is just leaving the download because you hear everybody going out the door kind of like, oh my gosh, that reminds me of this or that, that reminds me of this one time I did this. Let me tell you about it. And it's like, it's so great to, um, I don't know, have a space where people are encouraged to engage and be open and hopefully feel safe to be themselves. The March iteration of the Down Low Snow Days will take place at the Liberty on Sunday, March 20th, starting at 7 p.m. Developers have officially broke ground on the new Pinion Park neighborhood in Norwood. The housing project is a collaboration between the town of Norwood, San Miguel County, and the Telluride Foundation. It will build 24 deed-restricted single-family homes for the local workforce. The goal of the project is to house those already living in the community, but who may have challenges when it comes to purchasing a home. The homes will be connected to Norwood Water and Sewer. They will also have fiber internet connections and be energy efficient, all electric. Homebuyers will also have the option to wire their roofs for solar and add conduits for electric vehicle charging. The Telluride Foundation plans for the homes to be completed this summer with move-in in the fall. Photos or it didn't happen. 
Anyone who's been to Telluride knows the area is full of photo ops. And now the Denver Post is getting in the game. This week, the newspaper published the five best places on the Telluride Ski Resort to take a selfie. Top of the list is Giuseppe's. There's also the Top of Lookout and Gold Hill Express. Grano's makes the cut, as does San Sofia Station. And as spring break springs into action, all the locations will likely be getting some selfie love. Soon, all Colorado vehicle owners will automatically get a pass to visit Colorado State Parks. Following a bill passed by the legislature last year, Colorado residents will receive an annual state park pass when they renew their vehicle license plate. Katie Lanter with Colorado Parks and Wildlife says the past, called Keep Colorado Wild, is about more than entry to the state parks. As Coloradans, we live life outside, and with that comes the responsibility for all of us to care for Colorado. So in other words, the Keep Colorado Wild Pass is more than a state parks pass. It's a contribution to conservation and recreation in Colorado. So we hope that many people will purchase the Keep Colorado Wild Pass and maybe never have the intention to visit a state park, but instead are just interested in funding for non-game species, trails, outdoor equity, and so on. According to CPW, the annual cost will be an added $29 to license plate renewal with the option to opt out. The Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission approved the pricing vehicle pass last week. CPW aims to generate $36 million through the program, with funds going to park maintenance, search and rescue, the Colorado Avalanche Information Center. Additional funds could also go towards new state parks, state trails, equity, diversity, and inclusion initiatives, and the State Wildlife Action Plan. The Keep Colorado Wild Pass will go into effect in 2023 when individuals renew their vehicle license plates. Vail Resorts announced it will increase its minimum wage. KBUT's Jesse Metzger has more. Next winter, Vail will pay a $20 per hour minimum wage at its North American resorts. That's according to an announcement Monday. Skilled positions like ski patrol will start slightly higher. This season, Vail's starting wages have been $15 per hour or less, depending on the resort. In January, the company announced it would give hourly employees an additional $2 an hour as an end-of-season bonus. Vail says its recent changes are part of a $175 million budget increase for employee compensation and hiring. The increase comes at the end of a contentious winter. The company has faced criticism over long lines and limited operations. That's all during a season with record high ticket sales. Vail acknowledged widespread staffing shortages across its resorts, as well as issues with payroll and human resources. Vail-owned Park City Mountain Resorts made headlines earlier this winter when it narrowly avoided a ski patroller strike over wages. Vail's final offer at the time was $16 per hour. For KBUT News, I'm Jesse Metzger. Coloradans who grew up in foster care are the least likely group to attend college and earn a degree. Critics say the state is not doing enough to help them with tuition for higher ed when they leave high school. A new bill aims to change that. As KOTO Scott Franz reports, foster youth see the proposal as a potential game-changer for thousands of people who cannot afford to go to college. Tori Schuler beat the odds when she got her history degree from the University of Colorado, Denver. She was one of just 3% of foster youth around the country graduating from college. I pulled loans and did everything I could. I worked sometimes 60 hours a week, always two jobs in college just to get through so that I could have that 
accomplishment because it meant so much to me. Schuler also had something many foster children lack when they leave the system on their 18th birthday, financial help from foster parents. They kept her dream alive by providing housing and fixing her car. If they hadn't been there and I would have had to switch from being someone who drove to someone who rode the bus, I would have had to drop a job. I couldn't do that. I would have had to drop college. Today, Schuler is hoping to improve the odds for the foster youth who are not getting the help she had. She says the stakes are high. The person who's going to change the world is probably waking up in a foster home today, potentially the person who could solve cancer and greenhouse gases. But Schuler says if that person is growing up in Colorado, they are at a huge disadvantage. It is one of only 15 states in the country not paying for their college tuition. Leaving foster care feels like they push you up this mountain and then they leave you at the top and you can either figure out how to get home from there or you can fall off the side and there's no support. State lawmakers are trying to help. Their bill would spend an estimated $700,000 each year to cover tuition for all foster youth in the state at public universities and trade schools. If they enroll, the state will pay for it. We should embrace this challenge because our foster youth deserve better. Democrat Rachel Zenzinger is leading the effort. Her bill will also give foster youth a liaison to help fill out paperwork and apply for the benefit. It has some bipartisan support, but some Republicans, including Paul Lundeen of Monument, are not on board. He says he's skeptical the money will make a difference. We tend to sometimes, I think, begin to believe that policy actually changes things. And the reality is, it's people that actually change other people's lives. It's a different story for foster youth who have already gone through the higher education system without help from the state. Tori Schuler says if Zenzinger's bill was in place when she went to college, she would not have student debt and would have attended law school. She currently works for a nonprofit helping foster children. I do love the work that I do. I think that I would still be doing the same type of work if I had a law degree, but I think that it would be more powerful um, and that I could do a lot more. And Schuler sees benefits in the bill going far beyond increasing college graduation rates. Having that crucial support during those critical years after care means that we're going to see less people committing suicide. We're going to see less people turning to crimes of survival and ending up incarcerated. We're going to see less people feeling so desperate that they turn to human trafficking. State officials say more than 4,000 youth are leaving the foster care system each year and would be eligible for the new tuition money. Democrats advanced it after its first hearing, but more debates are delayed until the state's budget hearings take place later this month. I'm Scott Franz at the State Capitol. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for snow showers tonight with a low around 20 degrees. One to three inches of snow accumulation is possible. Thursday should be mostly sunny during the day with a chance of snow showers and partly cloudy at night. The high is in the mid-30s with a low around 15. Friday expect partly sunny skies with a high near 40 degrees. Friday night should be mostly clear, with a low around 20. This has been the news for Wednesday, March 16th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. We would like to thank everyone who has donated to Kodo during our winter fund drive. 
A huge thank you to Angela Watkins, Kara Pallone, Phil Hayden and Lee Sullivan, Gus Gassiora, Steve and Michelle Hoish, Nancy Landau, Jessica Galbo, Kyle Kohler, John Wontrobsky and Suzanne Chevins, Dave and Cindy Millette, Mike Bordonia, Chris Kwasniewski, James Van Hoosier, Amanda Baltzley, Sarah and Morgan Lavender-Smith, Megan Knowles, Josh Reeder, Mark and Terry Dollard, Chris Hazen and Kathy Jepson, David Green, Sue Gustafson, Stacy and Chris Harden, Wendy Lawler, Joan May, Joseph Pico, Charles Pine, Robert and Heidi Stenhammer, Anna Zivian, Trish Anderton, Jackie Arguez, Elizabeth Calcutt, Rick Burns, Chris Condon, Angela Dye and Bob Mather, Anne-Marie Fitzpatrick, and Matthew Harrington. Thank you all so much. And now, a personal commentary. Greetings, Telluride. This is Amy Vanderbosch speaking on behalf of the Telluride Choral Society. The Choral Society has been bringing live choral music to the Telluride community since 1995. We are currently getting ready for our 2022 Spring Sing concert, and I'd like to tell you a little bit about it. Our theme for this spring is Songs of Hope. A wide variety of beautiful pieces will be performed by both of our youth ensembles, the Telluride Choristers and Omnivoce, as well as our two adult groups, the Telluride Chorale and the Chamber Singers. We are very fortunate to have new artistic directors for both the youth and adult groups. Katrina Miller, our very talented elementary school music teacher, is directing the youth groups, and Hal Adler, a wonderful new addition to the Telluride community, has taken over leadership of the adult groups. I'd also like to mention our very talented accompanists, Travis Fisher, playing for the youth choirs, and Susan Enzor, who accompanies the adults. We are so fortunate to be able to continue singing with all of these dedicated people in place. If you join us for one of our performances, you will be treated to some beautiful, inspiring, and uplifting songs across a range of genres from classical a cappella to contemporary, gospel, folk, and Broadway. You can learn more about our concert from the wonderful Susan V. Brock at her web magazine, Telluride Inside and Out, at TellurideInside.com. We hope you will join us at Christ Presbyterian Church on Friday, March 18th at 7 p.m., or on Sunday, March 20th at 4 p.m. Admission is $20 for adults, $10 for students, and because singing is involved, masks will be required. Please come out and support local live music in Telluride. You won't be disappointed. This has been Amy Vanderbosch with the Telluride Choral Society. Thank you, KOTO. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Cutout. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues. <laughs>